It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side. Good evening, Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode here of On the Fin Side with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, as well as the finfanatic.com website and the fan sided network. We are, gosh, almost seven weeks away from the NFL draft and a few weeks away from free agency. And the big news right now going on is the NFL draft combine. And it was certainly an interesting combine. I mean, a lot of players that we're going to talk about here on this show, be sure to join us here on the live chat. But Paul, before we get into that, I'm curious, what is your take on the combine in general? Because You know, some people say it's the underwear Olympics. Some people are willing to take a player that was projected in the fourth or fifth round and move him to the second round after a great workout. Where do you stand overall and kind of your philosophy on the combine? So I'm going to break that into some chunks here. The first thing for me is at the end of the day, who they are on the field matters more than anything. And... You know, there's a lot of things that can change what that 40 time means. It's you and I had a good dialogue this week talking about linebackers and how, you know, the example we used was I'll take a 4-7 guy with instincts that can read an offense and gets to his spot the way he's supposed to over a guy that runs a 4-4 but takes five steps in the wrong direction when he's guessing on half these plays because he can't read an offense to save his life. You know, it's... But I will say, short of an extreme in a good way or an extreme in a bad way, I don't let it have a huge impact on a lot of my decision-making. Uh, if somebody jumps out of the woodwork and has, has a, a knockdown, drag-out performance, I'm going to take an extra look at the guy just to see if there's something I missed. If I see, all right, this is a guy that's got some of the basics down, uh, and he's got the athleticism to have a tremendous upside. Or if a guy just falls apart at the NFL Combine, that can potentially move him down my list depending on his position and where he fell apart. You know, it's like quarterbacks. It's cool to find out they're fast, but if you go back to an interview with Sam Madison and Xavier Howard four or five years ago, Xavier Howard brought up, he goes, when the hell am I running forward? <laughs> like, if I'm running forward, somebody beat me. Like, I run backwards, and it's a whole different animal. And, you know, that guy runs a 4-2, that's great. But if I jam him up at the line of scrimmage, does it matter? Like, you know, just so. Right, and Exa- Xavier Howard ran a, a 4 5 seven forty, and then at his pro day, he ran, you know, in the mid-4-4s. Mid and it, it in that context, yeah, it certainly doesn't matter because uh, he he was he came into the NFL and struggled as a Dolphin for the first year and a half, but always had those ball hawking skills. So yes, it does matter uh, who you are as a football player. Um, you know, for me, it's always about it, when it comes to the combine. It it confirms what you already know in certain circumstances, and then on the other hand, it uh, like you said allows you to go back to the tape. You know, because for example, it, uh, Kalan Barnes from Baylor runs a four-two-three, almost sets the record for forty time. Before this, he was an undrafted free agent. Now he's probably going to move up. You would think into the fifth or sixth round area at least, and that's good for that player. And then you take a look at somebody like Jordan Davis, who you've we've talked about on the show. You liked more than I did, but I, I still like more than the consensus did out there in the NFL draft world. Where holy crap, 6'6, 341, runs a 478. And it's not just the 478 because anybody can practice that, but also a 10 3 broad jump, which was a whole foot higher than anybody else at the combine. And uh, a 32-inch vertical leap. I mean, that was higher than the defensive tackles who were 6'3", 300 pounds in this draft. That's when it gets to the point where it's like, holy crap, this player is moving up. And 
a lot of people were in on Jordan Davis, the nose tackle. They were. Best run defender in college football. You put him in the middle of your defense, and a lot of people in lazy research called thought of him as a Vince Wilfork, where, all right, you know, you don't get pass rush from him. The dude in his 10-yard split equaled Joey Boza. We were talking about this on the show a month ago, saying Jordan Davis is a guy that you're wasting his talent if you're not moving him all over your defensive line. And if you watch his tape, the crazy thing to me is I've seen plays where he's got three linemen on him, guys that are being drafted, not even just undrafted free agents or guys that wash out after college football, guys that are being drafted with help from their friends, and he's moving, and you don't see his speed get diminished by three people hanging off of him. And that's, you know, eight, eight 900 pounds of weight. It's insane with him. You watch him outrun linebackers. He's a difference maker. And if you're moving him all over in, in a defense like Miami's, which I don't expect him to last to 29. I truly do not expect him to be anywhere even in striking distance from 29. But if he happens to be there, I told you before, I would take him in a heartbeat I absolutely would, especially in this multiple front that Miami loves to run. You know, you can leave Raquan Davis right there in the middle as, as your stuff the run guy, and you know you can kick him wide, almost like wide nine, and have him matching up with a tight end sometimes one on one. If you don't know where he's coming from or where he is, holy crap! And you know what, running a four, four seven eight, I don't even mind him occasionally dropping in coverage. And I look at Jordan Davis and I say, yeah, he's probably not going to get there to the Dolphins at, at 29. And they probably, given defensive tackle is the best position on their team, would probably go in a different direction anyway. Mm-hmm. But, I, yeah, I mean. How do you pass could, it up? If The way I look at it as far as how he fits is this is a defense that has shown the ability to have multiple fronts and multiple different alignments uh, on the defensive line. And, I mean, their defense in general. I mean, you have Ogba and Phillips as four, three defensive ends on one play. You have Zach Sealer, Christian Wilkins, and Raekwon Davis as defensive tackles on another play. How about a defensive front like the Packers showed for a long time with two defensive linemen, Raekwon Davis and... Uh, Jordan Davis, the Davis-Davis combination, and then you can drop more players into coverage and give more unpredictable looks. We're getting too ahead of ourselves on Jordan Davis because he's not going to be there at 29, nope. probably, but yeah, the, those are the types of conversations we're going to keep having as the draft approaches. Yeah, no, and, and it, it's the, oh, so I want to go back for a second because you asked about what the draft means. And, and I'm going to go to something we the, talked about. The combine little, means. Or combine means, I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to go back to something we kind of beat around the bush with off the air when you and I were talking, which the the thing that kills me is there are guys that we've been talking about for months on here. And this has been this, this is something I look back a few, at a few previous years and something that we've done in December even or, or the beginning of January, talking about some of these guys that aren't on anybody's radars, um, or even sometimes a year in advance just thinking they might declare. And suddenly these guys show up at the Combine, blow it up, like absolutely blow it up. And then you see the national media go, wow, huh, who saw it coming from this guy? Yes, sometimes it, yeah, it, it happens that way. Um <laughs> And, yeah. I mean, I can't think of anybody that we've talked about that openly that's just gotten to the combine and fell apart. I really can't. Yeah, I, I don't see, I don't speculate on the combine because I, I treat the combine as kind of an open book. I, I like that, you know, for example, you had Jordan Davis as your number one guy that you would have taken at 29 mm-hmm. when we had our, our draft show. I had uh, Tariq Woolen the cornerback from uh, UTSA as somebody th- that I would have taken at 29 before the workouts here. And today he at six four two Oh five 
runs a 4-2-6-40. He's only played defensive back for two years at, at UTSA. And this is the same college that produced uh, Marcus Davenport, who was a genetic freak and is now starting to come into his own here as a Saints defensive end. So uh, he's somebody I would still consider a 29. I don't care if he's a cornerback because the Dolphins are going to need cornerbacks in the next couple of years. And you want somebody that has elite physical skills who is raw that you can develop. And he can also tackle, too. And when he went to Senior Bowl week, he did a phenomenal job. He was the best cornerback there. He got on the radar of a lot of people. First, he got on the radar of Todd McShay and um, from ESPN. And uh, when I started watching as little film as I could on UTSA, it looked really impressive. His, his movement skills are incredible. Um, so we'll see on him um, as, as, as we keep going. Another player too, Paul, Trevor Penning, offensive tackle from Northern Iowa. One thing I said about him is that he didn't really have the physical, I mean, no, excuse me, always had the physical potential, but I, I had a question about whether or not he could bend as much at the offensive tackle position. Runs a four eight nine, and in, in addition to that, in the three-cone drill, which really measures the agility of the player, runs a seven two five. I mean, he certainly did a great job here uh, at, at th- this past weekend. And as, as it's starting to look now, it's, it's, it's looking like there are, are four offensive tackles at the top, Evan Neal and Ike Iquanu, who are, who were supposed to be top five picks, Charles cross, probably somewhere in that top 15 area. And Trevor Penning, I think is inching his way closer to that top 15 to top 20 area too. You know, but my question is, from a Dolphins perspective, is if he's there in the 20s, do you start thinking about trading up for him to be your right tackle if the Dolphins don't get that position in free agency? If they don't get that position in free agency, you have to think about it. Uh, Although, in honesty, if you don't manage to address it in free agency, I'd really look long and or if you're able to get a left tackle in free agency, uh, but not you know, the other bookend there. I would be looking long and hard to move Robert Hunt out to right tackle. And in which case, if Zion Johnson and Penning are both on the board, I do see Penning potentially being a better guard than tackle at the next level anyway. If Penning and and Zion are still on the board, I might hold back. Uh, I I don't expect to run on guards in the first round, and I, I, I still think to this day, Penning's going to be a, a better guard. I'd wait and see who is still available as they get closer within striking distance because I would be happy with either of them on this offensive line, and I wouldn't be surprised if Applebaum's pounding the table for somebody like Zion. Yeah, that looks like the most natural fit with the coaching staff right now because the Dolphins have needs on basically every interior line spot especially if they were to kick Robert Hunt out to right tackle, which I I hope they do, but there's no word yet that that's going to happen. Um, but Zion Johnson, what I, what I love about him is in 2020, he played left tackle for Boston College, did really well, a little bit up and down, but did really well. And this past year, moved into left guard, did a great job, was one of the best in the country. And then in, at Senior Bowl week, he also played at center that entire week. So now you've got somebody who, with the same Dolphins offensive line coach, has played left tackle, left guard, and center. So, and you take a look at his measurables, and this is where the combine also matters. He blew it out of the water when it comes to the interior offensive line. I mean, you take a look at him 6'3, 312, 32 bench press reps, 32 inch vert. These, these things matter because they are the best by far at that position. And when you start to see great play combined with great testable physical skills, that's when it, everything starts to come together. Yeah, and there's one thing I want to bring up since we're, we're, we're discussing the offensive line anyway. It's 
I've been looking back through it at way too much McDaniel stuff, just like most Dolphin fans have. I mean, one thing that I did note with him is he came out at one point in time and basically said, because one of for Shanahan offense, we've talked about the fact these guys have to be, you know, they like these guys small, mobile, uh, agile, you name it. McDaniel had a quote where he came out and said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing when I say this, they would actually prefer to have all these guys that are 6'8", 400 pounds, uh, and can just blow people out of the way, but they hadn't invested at the top end of the draft in those positions where you're able to get those guys that can do that. And I think that leaves all options on the table when it comes to big, powerful blockers or the agile guys and the way that he's going to work his scheme to be able to account for either uh, is exciting. And the reason I wanted to bring up the guys that are 6'8", 400 pounds is Daniel Falele. Uh, if I'm pronouncing it wrong, I apologize. He's a guy that I started looking at back in November. I wanted so badly to like Falele. I really, truly did. And it's very easy to look at him and go, oh my God, this is a gigantic human. We just did it with Jordan Davis. The difference is Jordan Davis is a football player with upside. Um, Daniel Falele is a maybe potential offensive tackle prospect in the future with several years of work to go along with the gigantic body that you can't coach. And it's a big question mark whether he gets there. You watch his tape, he's a player that looks lost a lot. If he was if he was 6'5", 300 pounds, there's no chance he gets drafted. And yeah, I'm I'm with you on on Falele. I mean, I I, it, I don't it, want him. Yeah, I, I don't want him either. And and that's one player that Paul and I are going to agree on. And that's a big fat guy. So Paul usually likes these types of players. But He's yeah, got to play football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I there's there's no reason for you to be 384 pounds. I mean, he's the biggest player at the combine since Aaron Gibson, uh, almost 25 years ago now. Like, there's no reason for him to be that big. He, and I know he's six eight, and I know he's productive for what he did. But the the player he reminds me of, and I said this on the show a few weeks ago, is Zach Banner uh, from USC, who's was a third round pick of the Steelers. And he's hung around the league for a little while, but is he somebody that at right tackle you're going to trust to protect to his blind side? I, I, I can't see that being the case. Uh, one player I do like who's moving up a little bit is uh, Abraham Lucas, who had a great week. I always liked him as a productive right tackle from Washington State. Um, he was a little bit sloppy on tape from when I saw him, but was always able to create running lanes. And in this offense, now when you combine it with, you know, what, what he did at the combine, 492, 40, 24 bench press reps, he's somebody that I think is going to start inching his way up the board, maybe into that second or third round area. So we're getting a little bit too in the weeds here and not focusing on the big things, which were, in my opinion, Paul, the linebackers. Chad Mooma, baby. the show. Yeah, yes. Chad Muma. Chad, I, I've got my own guy, but Chad Muma is uh, out of Wyoming. I mean, if you put twenty-seven bench press reps, oh. four six three. I mean, uh, and, and it's 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 more than that. We we talk about numbers a lot. We've talked about numbers a lot here, but I mean, it's it, it's certainly more than that. I, I, I'm I'm stealing this one before you can take my Thundercat. Ah, Thundercat. Um, if you go and you watch his tape, so as Dolphin fans, inevitably this time of year, we're watching Zach Thomas highlights. We all love and and you know it's it's such a shame Zach didn't make the hall. When I put on Chad Muma's highlights for the very first time, there were so many aspects of his game. And I don't, you, you know, we, we've, we've done this together for years. I'm not one of those people that comes out and goes, oh, 
this guy's the next Dan Marino. This guy's the next this. That's that's an unfair comparison for a lot of folks. It's not something I like to do, but when I watch him play football, so much of his game reminds me of Zach. Like I I had just watched the Zach Thomas highlight footage and I turned on Chad Muma's tape just coincidentally. And just even the way he jumps routes in the middle of the field to to take it to the house room it looked like and, and I played it for my dad without saying a word and he looked at it and he goes this is like watching Zach's highlights I'm like it is but this guy's 6'3 240 pounds like and his athleticism at the combine jumped out of the building it it's I really hope he lasts to Miami's spot in the second I'm not sure if he does anymore uh but if not, yeah. I would be willing to move up and get him. I mean, another guy, too, that, that I think is going to blow away his bench reps is Leo Chanel out of, out of Wisconsin. Yeah, Leo, Leo Chanel, there are highlights of him. 41, uh, baby. 41 bench reps as a freshman. And something like 18 for 315 pounds a couple of years ago, too. Why didn't he bench at the combine? That, that doesn't make any sense to me because it would have been – like a, a nationwide story by now. And he's uh, was also a really good football player at, at, at Wisconsin, especially as kind of that same Landon Roberts two down inside linebacker that you would want. I mean, th- this past year, 18 and a half tackles for loss. I mean, it, you combine that with being 6'3, 250 pounds and 40 bench press reps. I think that would have, elevated him up into that second round status um and he still might get there but my my biggest thing that i want to make clear as far as as what i'm looking for at linebacker to pair with jerome baker i want two players who are going to cover the field on all three downs and chad muma might be that guy because of his instincts and because of his length but the guy i like better than him is quay walker from georgia okay because He's 6'4", 243, and he didn't actually get the opportunity to step on the field much until this past year. And he's not a flashy player, but he showed unbelievable movement skills at at the Combine. And when you look at his actual physical numbers, 4'5", 2 in the 40, and I love that he's 6'4", 243 pounds because he can get in the way of passing lanes. He's not somebody flashy, but... Somebody who is going to be able to cover the field with Jerome Baker. No, I, I, we've talked about this a lot. I want two linebackers in this draft. So I mean, it's it's I've got so many guys down down the list that I'm still working my way through the, through on these. And Chad Mumo definitely is one. Quay Walker, I like him. He he does have some upside, but it's. Yeah, and I wouldn't be unhappy with him. The guy that I can't bring myself to like, even though he ran a great forty time, I can't get myself there on Christian Harris. I really yeah. can't. Yeah, I, me either. All that much because uh, you know, I'm thinking more of a early day three type of pick. I mean, he ran a four four seven, but uh, had five and a half sacks this past year for Alabama, but three of them were in the national championship game against Georgia, which is good. He was able to rise to that competition, but you have to wonder, you know, what, why wasn't he more productive in a huge season for him throughout the rest of the year? Yeah. I mean, one guy that was a late rounder that I did like, uh, but he did hurt himself. This is one of those times where the 40 does come into play for me. Jack Sanborn out of Wisconsin was a guy that I've been – Back and forth on, but I kind of like if Miami takes two linebackers in this draft. But I think he's just one step too slow, which is unfortunate because you watch his tape. The guy makes plays all, all over the field, but I think at the NFL level, I think the speed is going to exceed him, what he put up at the combine, unfortunately. Yeah, Sanborn is kind of that lunch pail player from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, Leo Chanel had eight... 18 tackles for loss this year for Wisconsin, and Sandboard had 16. I mean, that's 
that's still impressive. 16 tackles for loss. I mean, he's somebody who's going to be taken somewhere there. I, I always prefer to draft a player like a DeMarco Jackson from Appalachian state yep. there. If we're talking about a day three type of player, I mean, productive, but also athletic. And those are the types of players that get their way onto special teams immediately when they get into the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, there's so much here at the linebacker spot. I, I would comfortably take, if if I'm looking at my at my list here. I mean, in the first three rounds, comfortably take ten different off-ball linebackers, and I usually hate off-ball linebackers. Yeah, I I, I really can't argue with you. And then there are several that I would be all over and happy with on, on, on day three. I mean, JoJo Doman's one out of, out of Nebraska. Uh, Nephi Sewell's a guy that I like. I mean, you start running down the list of guys, and, and this is a deep class. And actually, speaking of which, I, I, I do want to go back to defensive tackle as well after this. But before you do, uh, Nephi no, Sewell, <laughs> yeah, Nephi Sewell, when uh, he, he, I saw him work out, I thought, who let that child onto the field? Uh <laughs> He he looks like he looks like he's 5'10, 200 pounds. He's actually six foot two twenty six. But somebody in the seventh round, I would certainly certainly uh maybe, maybe not. Mm. Um one more to keep it, an eye on that I think is gonna rise up draft boards and and, and I want to talk more about him later on. I don't want to spend too much time on him now. But Malcolm Rodriguez out of Oklahoma. He's a guy that I'm starting to warm up to, and I, I, I want to look at a little more. I think we're going to talk about him a little bit when we do our linebacker preview leading up to the draft. But he's a guy to keep an eye on for me, especially in coverage. Yeah, Oklahoma State doesn't play a lot of defense, but and he's 5'11", 230 or so. Yep. But w- when you're a 4'5 player, you can get on a lot of draft boards pretty quickly. Uh, and... The, the player I want to make sure I, I land on here, too, at the linebacker spot is Troy Anderson uh, from Montana. This is somebody who was – he came to Montana. He was the quarterback and was offensive player of the year in that conference. And here he is this past year, his first year at linebacker, and he was defensive player of the year in that conference, too. He goes to the combine. He runs a four four one or four four two, And – He's obviously very raw, but somebody who has that type of speed and that type of coverage ability reminds me of a, you know, kind of a Leighton Van Der Esch type of player that can cover a lot of ground. If you're talking about him kind of in that third round area, I, I would be all for it. Paul, you were saying? So, yeah, no, and, and I wanted us to finish up. Defensive tackle, I, I know we talked a little bit about Jordan Davis. This is a really deep defensive tackle class, especially at the top end. And in other years, I, I, I don't want to discount the showing of guys like Travis Jones and, and Logan Hall and Perry and Winfrey. Because in other years, these guys would comfortably be excellent players at, at the at the very top of the list. It's just the two out of Georgia and Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt are so special that it's it's hard to not just have, have all that time spent on them. Travis Jones picked the wrong year to come out because he probably would be a late first rounder if it wasn't for the fact that Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt are going to be the first two defensive tackles off the board. See, I, I disagree with you on that. I think Travis Jones picked the perfect year to come out because – after Davis and Wyatt, there's not a lot else. I mean, you know, we're talking from a draft perspective, not from a Dolphins perspective here. But, yeah. you know, a, usually there are at least like, you know, six or seven guys who are pretty good. I, I, I don't see anybody like pure defensive tackles being taken in the first three rounds other than Jordan Davis, Wyatt, and Travis Jones. Um, I think, I think Winfrey will go in the first three. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think he will too. Uh, and then you can move a few other players, like Logan Hall, for example, is a defensive end slash defensive tackle. Uh, right. Could go somewhere there. In fact, he's somebody for the Dolphins too, as in, you know, a hybrid type and and, and a productive and intelligent one. Somebody else 
that would uh, I would also think about there in that third round. I wish the Dolphins had more third round picks, honestly. Yeah, and and and, and I like him as a hybrid type. The reason why I'd struggle to have him on my radar is with Phillips on the roster, with AVG on the roster, we're starting to run out of room for hybrids, you know, and, and, and being able to get them on the field reliably. Yeah, I, I think we're running out of room for defensive tackle, like pure defensive tackles. Um, well, there's yeah, I, a lot it, of room from sideline to sideline if you got Davis and Davis on the field. Right, absolutely. And Jordan Davis, that's why if he goes to 29, He's going to be one of the top players on my board. I don't care. I don't care what the rest of it looks like because it's he's he showed his ability to be that special this past weekend, and he did during the season. Somebody on ESPN, I can't remember who it was, said, if you don't have Jordan Davis in your top 10 for the Heisman, your board lacks credibility because of the way he dominated this past year, and that's exactly true. There's no way that Georgia wins a national championship without Jordan Davis. No doubt about it. No. Um, so we, we haven't even talked about the skill positions. and uh, We haven't talked about so much. <laughs> like Chigikwanu. So, yeah, baby. Chigikwanu, we'll get to in a second. But uh, running back, Brees Hall absolutely tears it up. I mean, again, this is somebody who... I think fits Mike McDaniel's offense so very, very well because he has the ability. He is a wide zone, put your foot in the ground and cut up field quickly, break tackles type of runner. And then you add on to that, that he tested the best out of all the running backs in the vertical league and the broad jump. And then he ran a four, three, nine. I mean, my, my only drawback with, with Brees Hall was that he may not have been that high-end athlete, but he proved everybody wrong here this past weekend. And Kenneth Walker, or actually it goes by Kenny Walker now, runs a 4.38 and also tests out very, very well. So it seems like there's a separation now with Kenny Walker, Brees Hall, and then the rest of the running backs after this combine here. I don't think there's as big of a gap. Now, I like both of those guys a lot. I mean, we've talked about the fact that we like them better than Spiller for a while, uh, even when Spiller was the top guy. The other one, I think, that that kept himself right in that conversation with them and should be available a full round later than Brees Hall might be is still James Cook out of Georgia. And, and I, I, I think... I'm really glad we haven't turned it into a drinking game based off every time we say the word Georgia here. Cat, Cat and I are Cat's a Mizzou fan. I'm a UConn fan, and I've said Georgia more times than I ever thought I would in my life. But James Cook out of Georgia ran a four four two, so you know four hundredths of a second behind Kenneth Walker, three hundredths of a second behind Brees Hall, and he also is an absolute fit in in a Mike McDaniel offense because. He is so multiple. You take him and you line him up at wide receiver, he looks like that's the position that he plays every day and he's, he's a stud at. You put him in the backfield, have him be that one-cut guy and get upfield through a lane, which is basically Mike McDaniel's offense design, designs lanes better than any offense I've ever seen. And he's the guy that can do that, and he's got the speed to hit it just like the other, the, the other two. So as far as that goes, I've got James Cook right there with him, just he's going to be available in the third round. Yeah, James Cook, when you said that he's going to be available a full round later, I, I agree with you on that because he's firmly in that kind of third-round category because he is 5'9", 199 pounds. He's versatile, and he's got some big highlight runs. 5'11". Yeah, 5'11". Thank you. So yeah, he's five eleven, one ninety nine. Ran a four four two, and he's got those Cook genes in, in his blood there because he's he he has the ability to just find the end zone and and make big plays. Um, as far as the top two backs, if the Dolphins are looking to get a running back who is going to be their guy in the first two rounds, 
I keep going back to it's either Kenny Walker or it's Brees Hall. And if the Dolphins fail to do that and they end up saying, you know what, we're just going to draft, we're just going to sign Raheem Mostert and we're going to draft a running back in the fourth round. Okay, that's fine. It, it, with Mike McDaniel's offense, it could work because he's been able to produce those running backs. But if it doesn't, I don't want any excuses because you had the top two running backs in the first two rounds that you should have gotten. Yeah, I mean, it's there are guys that I think if Miami turns solely to the draft, you can look at to be successful in a way in a Mike McDaniel offense that you don't see that in, in some of the others that may wash out in other places. Uh, I mean, one guy that I think would be tremendously successful in a Mike, Mike McDaniel offense and is worth a late-round flyer is Pierre Strong out of South Dakota. He's a criminally underrated player. He runs a sub 4-4. Yeah, he's a little short, but, I mean, he, he could potentially be everything and more that Eli Mitchell was last year, and you know how high I was on him. Yeah, I mean, he, ran, he runs a 4-3-7, which is incredible. And, uh, I mean, this past year runs for 1,686 yards for South Dakota State. And if that name sounds familiar, that college sounds familiar, that's exactly where Dallas Goddard went a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I mean. My, my South we, we Dakota could, guys, what can I say? We could go on and on. We have not talked about receiver um, because it, it, it seems like a receiver gets a little bit boring because Drake London didn't run. Jamison Williams obviously has the torn ACL. Traylon Burks, though, runs a 4-5-5, and I think it's to the Dolphins' benefit that he did because he plays much faster than that. He's not a Devontae Parker type, which is exactly what I, you know, thought when I, I first saw his size um, but he's moved all around the offense he has incredible contact balance after the catch um, and I my hope is that he falls and becomes the fifth or sixth receiver taken and he's there for the Dolphins at 29 yeah I mean I there are so many this receiver class is so deep there are guys that are going to be available later on. John Mechie came out and talked about how he would love to come compare uh, with with Tua and Waddle down in Miami. Uh, you look at Calvin Austin, guy that, that I know I had grabbed it in, in my mock, and he just tore this combine to shreds. And, you know, Chris Olave, he won't be available to Miami probably at, at 29, but if he is, I, I couldn't say no. Uh but Olavi's probably one of the only ones in the first round I couldn't say no to just because you've got Jalen Tolbert, George Pickens, who, not because of his name, but just the tremendous upside I see in him as a player when he gets the rest figured out and he'd get the opportunity to, and he's he's going to be there in round three. Um, yeah, th- there is so much depth, depth at receiver, and also Christian Watson, I mean, blows up the combine. And at you know six four two zero eight, he he has an eleven four uh, broad jump. And again, th- these things matter. And this is why we're having the show is because it tests that explosiveness. And you combine that with Christian Watson dominating at North Dakota State, uh, going to the Senior Bowl and getting separation all week ag- against the best of the best cornerbacks in division one. And then now he comes out and, you know, at six, four, two Oh eight runs a four, three, six, 11, four broad jump. I mean, there's, there's so much depth here at wide receiver. You're exactly right. One player that is going to drop is, uh, is certainly, uh, uh David Bell from Purdue because yeah. at six, one, two twelve. I mean, nobody expected him to be, like an elite physical type of player, but he tested pretty much the worst in every category, which might actually end up being a good thing for some team that drafts him because he might actually end up going in the fourth or fifth round. So it, yeah, it's, it's, it's starting to look like there's this hodgepodge where 
there's not much separating like the eighth receiver from like the fifteenth receiver. Oh, and and not only that, you look down at the at the bottom end of the top thirty. Guys like Bo Melton are sitting down there. Tyquan Thornton, who we talked about, is going to shoot up draft boards, I'm sure. Um, you know, it, it, and there's a handful of others now. There is one guy, and I know I talked about Philele earlier as somebody I wanted to like. This is going to piss off some of our, our Miami fans in, in, in the audience, and, and, well, I'm not going to apologize. I tried to like Charleston Rambo. He still, like, his, his game tape had me thinking he was just a, ca- a guy, but I thought maybe there's the physical upside with him. He tested almost as badly as, as as David Bell. And I'd take David Bell over him, the football player, over Charleston Rambo, the football player. I just can't bring myself there. I don't want him as an undrafted free agent. Uh, wow. Those are strong words. Well, I mean, yeah, he, he was a fifth-round guy, ran worse, so he's probably going to be a late-round pick at best. And he's also somebody who probably is not going to – you know, be a special teams guy either. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of dudes here. Career over. Done. Out. I don't want him on the practice squad. Khalil Shakir is somebody I like to. Yes. Um, He's somebody who, who gets open easily in separation, and these are the players like Darnell Mooney, um, who was a fifth-round pick of the Bears, who – these are the types of players I want to be there for Tua in the middle rounds because I don't think the Dolphins need to build this dominant wide receiver unit. We've been down that road. They have to build a really good offensive line, give Tua time in the pocket to plant his feet and find accurately <laughs> the correct receiver, tight end, or running back. Give him so, time and give him a running game. That's yeah. it. And, but that said, uh, a couple guys we haven't mentioned. I know we're going to dive in deeper when we do our wide receiver preview. Sky Moore, phenomenal. Uh, yep, he'd be a great, great steal there. Uh, I don't think we mentioned Jalen Tolbert. Uh, you know, guy. That's how deep this receiver class is. How many guys did we have run run a sub four four? Was it ten, twelve? Without yeah. Some of the top guys running. Yeah, Sky Moore is somebody who a lot of, uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts with, uh, you know, PFF, NFL.com. He's a favorite pretty much for everybody. So I see him going firmly in the second round somewhere. Um, and also, too, you know, two players we haven't talked about is uh, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I mentioned Chris Olave. Did you? All right. My bad. So uh, we'll talk about him. You didn't talk about him. Four two six. He ran originally, and then I, I don't know what drunken idiot uh, timed him originally, but uh, it turned out to be a four three nine, which was slower than uh, Garrett Wilson, who ran a four three eight. Um, Alave, though, it was it, that, that's about the time I expected him to run. Uh, he's incredibly fluid, getting in and out of his routes. And somebody who I see getting, you know, being a, a solid pick for somebody in the mid to late first round, maybe he falls to the Dolphins. Garrett Wilson is somebody I've always been a little bit lower on than a lot of people because four three eight. I don't care if he ran that; he doesn't play to that. He's a little bit hippie in and in and out of his routes, and you know, he's good after the catch. And and there's been a lot of comparisons to Brandon Ayuk. I don't quite see that. Because I thought Ayuk was so much smoother in that respect. I wouldn't take Garrett Wilson until the second round now that I think about it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm I I would struggle to take a receiver in round one this year just because of the depth anyway. And and I'm with you on Garrett Wilson. There's four or five guys I'd take above him. So Jamison Williams, even though obviously with the torn ACL and he's six weeks ahead of schedule, he didn't participate here easily like he is my wet dream right now with pick number 29 i mean if if 
if you're talking about Jamison Williams being the Dolphins' starting wide receiver at the end of uh, 2022 or at the beginning of 2023, I am all in with him on the same offense with Jalen Waddle. So I, I still think he ends up going in the first 15 or 20 picks, but we'll see on that too. I'm glad you brought up tight ends, Cat. <laughs> tight ends. <laughs> the tight ends didn't even run. But it barely, they basically took the week off as far as any, any uh, Trey McBride. What's his 40 time? I don't uh, care. I don't want him. Who knows? Uh, uh, Jalen Weidemeyer, Isaiah Light. I mean, what, what's stopping these guys from running the 40? Like the first four tight ends Trey McBride, Jalen Weidemeyer, Isaiah Likely, Jeremy Rucker did not run the 40. Are you hurt? Like, what's stopping these guys? Anyway, Paul. That's all right, though, because I'm surgical with my tight ends. And Joel Holt, you are amazing, by the way. Thank you. Um, I mean, my main guy, my H-back fullback that I wanted, he's built the right way and plays the right way to be that fullback monster blocking in the backfield, coming out of the backfield, catching passes, and occasionally taking a handoff up the middle. And that would be Chig. A Conquo, the guy that, depending on which draft service you were using prior to the combine, you couldn't draft because he wasn't listed on half the boards out there. And he comes out and runs pretty much a blazing four-five-two for a guy that's six-three-two-forty, and just tested off the charts and, and, and got me so excited. I mean. Yeah, I ah, that's 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 my guy. My only problem is they're moving him up draft boards now. Yeah, and he had a he had a heart condition last year, which is the reason why he's probably going to fall and his medicals are going to be a big test for that. So, but yeah, I mean if if you're talking about somewhere in the 4th, 5th round or somewhere on day 3, 3 I, I'm going to reserve my opinion for that but uh paul seems to be just grab these really weird players who work out so i'm going to defer to him on that uh and thank you uh joe holt as well and uh we appreciate everybody here listening here tonight and ron also met, mentioned uh, alec pierce somebody that's quite interesting because he ran a 433 with a 40 and a half inch vert so it's He's starting to move up into that third, fourth round area at wide receiver, and it's starting to become a common theme where receivers, you don't probably have to draft them in the first or second round. You, you can probably find somebody uh, late day two, early day three, and we're going to be sure to uh, be with you on that and bring you the content for that as these players continue to rise or fall. Yeah, and a couple more guys I like because I know we don't want to spend too much time in the tight end position where hopefully they re-sign Mike Gesicki. I'm not sure they re-signed Gesicki and Smythe, unfortunately. A um, couple guys real quick that I know we're going to dive deeper into throughout the offseason, but guys that I'm very intrigued by are Jelani Woods at, at 6'7", 260. He ran, what was it, a four six one I believe. Um, and yep. let all tight ends on the bench with 24 and just looks like such a crazy mismatch weapon out there on the field that if he's your guy in a two tight end set with with Gesicki, you could have some fun out there. And then looking around, I, I think Greg Dulcic, 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 Dulcic. Yeah, Greg Dulcic may, may end up being the first tight end taken because he dominated during senior bowl week and he looks like somebody who is able to separate very consistently and now he puts up a 4640 and shows the physical ability to do it so that that's what the combine is all about it's it's confirming what you actually see it is and yeah so cat i know we've been on for a while here we we haven't even touched on everybody i mean good lord we're gonna save that for other episodes <laughs> all right what do we want to talk who else do we want to talk about what oh Let's do it. Let's do it, Cat. Punter. Matariza. No longer any form or or of a secret to the national media. 
boomed it during combine punter workouts. Got his own podium. Got to talk to the fans. Got to talk to reporters. And just looked every bit as special as we've talked about on here for, for a while now. Fifth round? I'll, I'll edit that to say that you've talked about. Um, you, I, you, I, you've gotten in on it a little bit. Don't, don't you pretend you, you're not the take-a-punter guy most years. Oh, I, I, I certainly am. So my question to you is, would you, is, let's say beginning of the fourth round, would you take him there? It would depend upon the board. I wouldn't hate taking him in the fourth. I'd prefer to hope for the fifth um, because at the end of the day, I think Jake Camarda is a hell of a consolation prize. But in the fifth, if he's on the board, I can't pass him up. Yeah, I and... I would consider him in the fourth round too, because he's looks like the best punter that's come around in a long time. When you start getting into day two, that's where Todd Sauerbrunn was taken from the Bears about twenty five years ago in the second round by Dave Wanstead. And Brian Anger was taken in the third round uh out of California by the Jaguars. And neither one of them ever even made a Pro Bowl with their with their squads. Um but you start getting into day three. If you're saying there is a good chance that he turns into like a Michael Dixon from the Seahawks where he is a top five partner in the league very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm perfectly willing to do that. I, I, I'm all about taking kickers, punters and long snappers on, on day three. I mean, so yeah, fifth round, absolutely fourth Reggie round. Rogan. Yeah. I mean, I, I might think about that too. I mean, for for those in my age bracket that grew up watching Reggie Roby, he is a modern day Reggie Roby. Um, and by the way, didn't he run like a four seven forty time or something ridiculous? Like a punter running forty. I will say, 40? I do not give a damn what he ran. Like well, he could have ran. He likes to run down the field and make tackles. He could have ran a seven six and and broad jumped in the negatives, and I would not have cared. Uh Let's see what else. We, we've we, we've covered a lot here, and I think we're going to wrap it up here pretty quickly, or else we could go to like three in the morning. Yeah, um, I was gonna say, I know I know we've got safeties we could talk about. One guy I just want to mention is somebody I think we're going to dive into when we hit cornerback show because I can't remember if I mentioned him already. Zion McCollum out of Sam Houston. Uh, he, he's somebody that I'm I'm very intrigued by. and might be able to step into some shoes with Miami. Um, we have we barely touched on the edge. Uh yeah, Man. well, it was incredible edge uh, performance here. I mean, uh, it, when you get down to, like, uh, Arnold Ebiketti from Penn State is one of my favorite players in this entire draft. I just don't think he fits this defense. 6'2", 250, and he, to, to me, he's a better version of Quiddy Pay. I'll even go that far. And Quiddy Pay had a Really promising rookie year with the Colts. Um, and also, uh, Boye Mafe out of Minnesota, Yes, I think is going to be, with the traction he's gotten, is going to be a first-round pick at this point. Maybe not for the Dolphins, but for another team. Um, Kingsley uh, from South Carolina is somebody who is, dropped, is dropping like a rock now. 487. At 6'4", 258, and more so dropping like a rock is Myjay Sanders from Cincinnati, who I loved one year ago today. I, I thought I was hoping he was going to come out in the draft. He didn't, but now shows up at the combine at 6'5", 228, runs a 4'7". There, there's talk about that he was sick, but only had two sacks this past year in 14 games. I think he ends up going in the fourth or fifth round now. Um Anyway, anything you want to tack on to that at the edge class? Um, not really on the edge class. I mean, you mentioned a couple of the guys I really like. There's some running backs that we haven't touched on. We didn't even touch quarterback, which there's a couple of guys I would flirt with late in the draft to maybe be a developmental guy behind Tua. Um, you know, everything you need to know about the quarterback class, 
I'm going to tell you right now, the top 10 players listed in the quarterback class, I have bigger hands than they do, and that's a problem. Oh, yeah, Kenny Pickett, eight-and-a-half-inch hands. So uh, he's never going to play in Miami, even <laughs> if he's available in the third or fourth round because it rains a lot. Uh, I have a meme on my uh, um, face uh, on my uh, Twitter page uh, with the Burger King guy with the tiny hands yes. from like uh, 15 years ago. Um, it, it, but I, I also think Kenny Pickett has the best tape out of any quarterback coming out. So I'm conflicted, but it doesn't matter here because you know, we'll do a show on the quarterbacks, but it's more if somebody drops. Uh, I, I see Malik, Malik Willis as a player that could go anywhere all over the board. He put on a show in the first day, has great arm talent, and he if he's somebody that runs a 4-4, uh, he could go he could go in the top 10. He could go he can go anywhere. I mean cat, <laughs> while, while we're hitting on these positions real quick, thoughts on Connor Hayward out of Michigan? Not much. I like your guy better because he actually has upside and he can move. Hey, I move. He ran a four-five-two. And and again, it, it's if you end up with James Cook and Chigakonkwo in that backfield, you can run the same personnel a lot of times for five wide with them and Gasicki on the field as you do for a two tight uh, for the twenty-one personnel. Like it, it, it's crazy. Yep, absolutely. So, Paul, one last question that I'm going to ask you here as far as just Dolphins draft history, and I'll throw it out to the rest of um, everybody in our chat. Thank you for joining us here tonight as well. Is um, Who is one player that when the Dolphins drafted at the time, you hated the pick, but it turned out to be a really good one? That's not as hard as you would think. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a recent, and then I'm gonna go a little more historical, even though it's 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 not really that far back in time. Uh, the recent would be I wasn't a huge fan of the Christian Wilkins pick. Wilkins pick. Uh, I thought it was wasteful. I thought it was not the best player on the board at the time, and. He has really come into his own over the last year as far as the value that he presents relative to his draft position. Um, <clears throat> the other one was was actually Jawan James. I hated the pick at the time. Hated it. And, you know, I thought he was an okay player. And he was better than okay during his time here. If it wasn't for injuries... I think he really could have been a very good offensive tackle. Not great, but a very good offensive tackle that probably still would have been in Miami for years to come if he wasn't having all the nagging injury issues. Yeah, since since you went with two, I'm going to go with two as well. Uh, the first guy I had in mind was actually a fourth-round pick, uh, was Brian Hartline. And, you know, you might think, okay, fourth-round pick, big deal, but... There were, when I looked at the Dolphins draft picks that year in, in 2009, they drafted Patrick Turner in the third round and Brian Hartline in the fourth round. And I thought neither player should have been drafted. And I watched a lot of them at USC and Ohio State. And Hartline proved me wrong by having, you know, 2,000 yard seasons. And I think he's going to be coaching in the NFL um, as a head coach within the next 10 years. Um, on a more high level, Mike Kosicki, because, you know. Ooh, good call. He was. He wanted Goddard. Let's face it. Wanted Goddard, and I I thought Kosicki was not going to come into the NFL and high point the football at the same level that he was at Penn State. Well, he he has largely, for the, for the most part, he has in his career. And I hope the Dolphins do franchise tag him at least he f disappointed me a little bit in the last five or six games because he didn't show that dominant ability to moss people but still i i think if the dolphins let him go 
they're talking about losing a star as far as his physical traits. So we'll see what happens. And that's going to do it for our breakdown of the NFL Draft Combine. Thank you all for joining us here tonight. We're going to keep the content rolling here with free agency here next week. We're going to have a great show on Saturday, and we're going to have some emergencies emergency shows based on who the Dolphins sign in free agency, and then we're going to roll right into the draft. Be sure to join us on Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, as well as the fan side of network and finfanatic.com. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side.